Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Metacast by Novik, a podcast in which we explore the business and future of video games. I'm Aaron Bush, co-founder of Novik, and I am very excited to host today's conversation with Jacob Novok, the co-founder and CEO of Genvid. Jacob, hey we've had technical technical difficulties getting to this point, but we made it. How are you doing? Great. Thank you. Happy to be here. How are you? Doing well. And um, yeah, I just want to, to to put some preface behind this conversation. I I first ran across um, Genvid and what you guys were up to a couple of years ago when your massive interactive live event, Rival Peak, was getting off the ground. And immediately, my my brain went wild thinking about where all this could go. So I'm really looking forward to, to digging into your vision today. But also, it's not every day that you run across a team that's legitimately pioneering a new form factor of entertainment. So it's been inspiring to watch um, you all from a distance and all the progress your team has made. But maybe the best place to start this conversation is just to define the key term here. What is a massive interactive live event or mile for short? So I'll I'll start with a little bit of history and then we'll go into how we got to Miles. So myself and my my founding team all worked on cloud gaming at Square Enix starting close to 15 years ago. And we began to look at what kind of products could you build that were cloud native. We're talking, you know, late aughts, early 2010s when we were first investigating this. We began to build prototypes and platform tech and streaming tech. Uh, and in fact, we debuted a whole bunch of it in 2014-15. I, I built an entire subsidiary for Square Enix called Shinra Technologies, named after the evil corporation from Final <laughs> Fantasy VII. Yeah. So I, I'm the only person who can legitimately say he was senior vice president of Shinra. Um, and we... we <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we, we spent many years trying to understand... What could you do that was different than what you could do in a console? Um, physics, artificial intelligence, if you had all of the power of the cloud at your disposal and you were rendering on the cloud, why would content be built the same way? Um, and so we were working on this for many years, seven years. Um, and one thing happened that we didn't expect which was the growth of the live streaming platform. So when we began working on cloud gaming, Twitch didn't exist, YouTube didn't have live streaming, Facebook didn't have live streaming. And as we saw this kind of industry of people who like to watch games grow, we had another very startling moment, and that was Twitch plays Pokemon. Here were a million people participating in a stream, playing a game together, and that product wasn't rendering on their local devices. It was streaming from the cloud everywhere, phones and PCs and what have you. And they were all contributing and they developed memes and entire community around it. And I was really inspired. And I turned to Square Enix CEO, who was my boss, Wadasan, and I said to him, I think we might have cloud gaming all wrong. So I left the company a couple of years after that. I started my company, Genvid, with my former team. And we started to think about what happens when you begin to build for cloud. What happens when products are built to be streams? And my earliest pitch decks for this company from 2016 um, have a slide that say, we believe that the future is epic interactive events. 
and they were a mix of like epic, which is to say big scale, right? Um, interactive so that you're changing the fate of it. And the form event is meant to replace the notion of a game. This is a very important concept for us. In, in a game, you're the, the player, you're the protagonist. It's your adventure in a Final Fantasy. You're going through the story, right? Even in an MMO, you're you're a hero. You're alongside hundreds of thousands of other heroes, but it's your hero's journey. In an event, you're a participant. When you go to a sporting event, when you, you know, go to see a baseball game live, you're not necessarily the pitcher throwing that strike that wins the game. You're one of thousands of people in the audience, but you're there to participate, to create energy. Your soul kind of um individuality may not be what decides the game but collectively you change the fate of this content and so that's why we use the word event as opposed to game and so we had been thinking about this notion and building these products for a very long time and in 2018 when i first met matthew ball we began looking at the way in which we were phrasing this and uh, at some point either in 2019 or 2020 he said you should rename Epic Interactive Event to Massively Interactive Live Event Mile because it sounds a lot better. But it's the same concept, right? It is about what you can do with video streams that can't be done through local, and that is massive scale, and then allowing interactivity to change the fate of it as a community. Um and this word massive for me is actually really, really important. So in a traditional battle royale, I play Fortnite with Matthew all the time. You've got 99 other people alongside with you. In an MMO, you may have 100,000 people on a server, but you're not in the same instance, right? There isn't 100,000 people fighting the dragon with you when you're going on a raid. There's just a small group of eight because we play tricks. Right. We don't we're not actually allowing for all of those people to impact it. In fact, the, the only game that really did allow for that was Eve Online for years, which was also a big inspiration for me. But even Eve, the the interactions slow down significantly the moment any sort of battle happens. But what what's interesting about live stream video is you get to scale. So as an example, Twitch Plays Pokemon can have a million concurrence on it with no issues or slowdown. You can be watching CSGO tournaments. You could be watching games done quick, and you'll see hundreds of thousands to millions of concurrent viewers. And that is like the biggest scale we get to in entertainment these days. You don't see games that have a million people interacting with the same piece of content. Even the people who are pushing the boundaries of this company is like improbable get to 5,000, 10,000 concurrence. I'm talking hundreds of thousands, millions of people together at the same time, shaping the same piece of content. So that, that word massive for me has a big kind of impact. Now, I know that's a long-winded answer to your very simple question, but I, I hope I hit all the key points. Yeah, no, I love that background. And also, I'm jealous that you're playing Fortnite with Matthew Ball, because when I was talking to him a month ago, he he said that, you know, his KD ratio was something like 50 to one and that his squad, which I'm guessing you're on, had had hacked the meta. Um, so 
so anyways, that's a total aside, but <laughs> I, I spent something like seven months being the person who fills gas and repairs his bus um, <laughs> as he ran people over. But this is a very interesting kind of notion here because Matthew is a very lean in player. He likes to drive. He likes to lead. He likes to run people over with his bus. I like to support. I like to chat. I like to be helpful I'm not necessarily the best shooter, um, but I can assist pretty well. And this kind of archetype is one of the reasons I created the company I created where I'm not the protagonist of my games. I'm watching characters in the story, but I can help support and chat. And I believe that there are a lot of people out there who don't have the time to be really good at games or don't have the time to get fully immersed in it but want to participate in content want to impact the things that they're watching and that's what i want to enable awesome no i love to hear that and before we we dig into like the exact projects that you've built and some of the interesting things there um could you just talk a little bit about what exactly genvid is and what exactly is it building so we started our company in 2016 primarily to build tools and services around interactive streaming. So if you were a developer, media company, publisher, tech company, and you needed interactivity for your streams, we offered that platform neutral, infrastructure neutral, engine neutral. So we were used for interactivity for Counter-Strike majors by Twitch for years. We did work with Verizon, we did work with AT&T, we did work with um, uh, Intel, with MTV, you name it. Um, and we worked with a lot of developers. So, you know, games wanted Twitch extensions or wanted some form of interactivity. Um, they, they, uh, they got tools from us. Um, one of the big changes started when we began to work on Rival Peak. Um, so we, we had a development studio, Pipeworks, that had been working on a project they called Project Galapagos, which is meant to be a, a streamer-focused game where the streamer would stream their play and audience members for the streamer could send items to help the streamer, kind of Hunger Games style. And I looked at it and I said, what if that wasn't a game but an interactive TV show? Uh, and I brought that pitch to a bunch of places and Facebook was very interested in it. Um, did a deal with me and, and I wanted to provide tech for it solutions because that was again what my business did. And the request from Facebook was we don't want to do a separate contract with you with tech and with Pipeworks for the game. So, you know, you produce it, Jacob. And I was like, I don't have a production office or anything of the sort. I know how to do it. I came from one of the world's biggest game publishers. I worked for their CEO for a decade. But um, it wasn't what the company was established to do. So I went to the board and I said, client wants us to be the end kind of publisher, producer of this project. Are you guys okay with that? And they said, yes. So I hired a producer and I mostly managed that alongside with the producer myself. And that went very, very well. And we can speak more about Rival Peak in a little bit. But going back to kind of the history of how we got to where we got, they asked for more, so I did Pac-Man and Walking Dead with them, um, them being Facebook. And in order to build up all these projects, I had to actually build a real 
publishing unit. So last year we raised our Series C and we created Genvid Entertainment for the purposes of building a formal publisher. Um, and up until now, we've been primarily producing on behalf of places like Facebook. And we still have that business. So tech companies, you know, publishers who, who want us to help in those services, we do that. But now we're also investing into financing our own projects. Gotcha. Now that makes a lot of sense. And there's several pieces of that I want to dig into more, but maybe we we can go back to, to Rival Peak because um, as you mentioned, I think that was a big milestone for yeah. you all. It was the aha moment of what you're working on um, for me. But could you maybe just um, talk a bit more um, about that experience? What was it? What were you really innovating on at the time? And what did you learn that set the foundation for the projects that would be coming next? Sure. Great question. So we started it thinking about how can we create an interactive version of Big Brother? Actually, its code name was Project Truman, right after the Truman Show. And so similar to Big Brother, we've got our kind of weekly TV shows and Big Brother was like Julie Chen, and she was hosting a half hour, hour long summary of what happened that week inside of the Big Brother house. And of course, the Big Brother house had 24-7 live streams, but most of the time those streams were pretty boring when people were just sleeping or working at their computer or something else. So you really, you primarily watch the TV show. Um, so similar to Big Brother, we had our TV show, uh, in our case, starring Will Wheaton from, from Star Trek, who was an amazing mm -hmm. actor to work with. Um, and we also had our 24-7 live streams of our characters, but unlike Big Brother, they weren't people. Um, they weren't players, and this was a very important point for me that I'll speak to in a moment. They were characters. They were AI. Um, and these AI were streaming 24-7, and they had objectives. They had goals. They had needs. And the audience was able to fulfill those needs. And as they watched those characters and helped them solve puzzles or helped them craft items, they generated score for those characters. Um, that score was cut off on Friday evening, Saturday and Sunday. We adjusted scripts and animation and voice acting. Monday, we filmed with Will. Tuesday, we did post. Wednesday, the episode goes live, summarizing the last week's event. And all the meantime, the streams are not offline. They just keep going. The storyline keeps going. And the things that the audience do, the things that they say in chat, the adjustments that they make are all reflected in Will's show. So Will's show is actually being based off of what the audience did. Similar to a traditional reality show, we boot off a character each week, but that character that we boot off is not based on voting. They're not based off of what we, the producers, wanted to do. It was literally what the audience was choosing, the decisions that they made, the engagement that they did. So the characters with the lowest score were the ones that were cut off every week. And so we produced the thing, we created, but we didn't know who would reach the top of the mountain, who would find the underground city, how they would do it, when. Like That was all completely organic done up by the audience themselves and we were not in control of how that happened yeah that that's so cool um and so let's play it forward i know you've done different events and projects since then like pac-man which you mentioned behind which is on the the screen behind you yeah but your your latest event i think is your biggest which is the walking dead last mile um and having spent some time in that i could instantly tell um how much leveled up and different it was compared to a bunch of the other projects that you've done in the past. So I'd love for you to to talk about um, 
this this latest project, which I know, I mean, you you mentioned before we we started, it was also the first time you've been to to Comic Con. You've been going on tour, um, talking about it. But um, from you know an entrepreneur and builder standpoint, um, what what was leveled up about this project? And similarly, just like where is the innovation here? What did you learn? How how did this change how you're thinking about the the future of what's next here? When we did Rival Peak, we didn't really know what we were doing in terms of how the audience would engage with it. And we didn't know, for example, what the breakdown between PC and mobile users would be. In fact, it was 96% mobile with audience members in India, Mexico, and Brazil. How do you get to low-end Android devices in India? Well, this is very, very interesting. Many of these kind of older OnePlus Android devices don't render 3D games particularly well, but what's the number one thing they're doing on their phones around the world? It's video consumption, TikTok, YouTube, what have you. And we're literally the same video feed. It's not like Stadia where it's like, it's just like YouTube, but you need a really good internet connection and 30 Mbps. Like it's literally a Facebook video feed. It's the exact same video feed that any streamer or anybody like any mom pressing the live button to show their kid's birthday to their friends or using. And so it works everywhere on any device that Facebook is on. And we discovered it's incredibly heavily mobile and incredibly heavily global. Um, We also discovered that some of the mechanics that we were originally expecting, like voting, were not the thing that people were most excited about. So only 12% of interactions were with votes. And this made sense. So like when, when Aaron, you and I are participating and we both vote, I have 50% agency and you have 50% agency. And then we add a third person. Now we have 33% agency. When we have a thousand people, we get one 1,000th agency. And when we start to get millions of users, we get one one millionth agency. At that point, we feel meaningless. So we realized that we had to to come up with a different mechanic. And one of the things that the audience loved, 40% of the engagement in Rival Peak were with our mini games. We had match three and memory match and a bunch of simple puzzles just to, you know, allow people to idle their time away. So in last mile, we took those learnings and we said, what if um, you can participate in these mini games and, generate points and the more points you generate the more that you can use those to bid so it's not about voting anymore it's not about we each have one vote it's the more i care the more i play the more i play the more i have points to bid right and now i'm allowing the more engaged users to have more agency over their story and that's how we solve that puzzle loop now in between rival peak and walking dead we did pac-man And Pac-Man allows for you to create mazes and then have those mazes be rendered in uh, 3D through the engine that's streaming over the video. And we took that core tech of creating an item in 2D through the GenBit overlay and then rendering it in 3D in an engine for the video stream. And we created the avatar and cameo systems in Walking Dead. So in Walking Dead, you create your own character and you can spend your points to make story decisions or to cameo inside of the streams and inside of the storylines. 
there are many different types of cameos, but one of them is to appear inside of 3D sequences, to appear inside of CG story sequences, to appear inside the live game streams and fend off walkers. Don't recommend doing that because 50% chance you're going to die and you'll have to <laughs> recreate your character. Um, but that, that same tech now is used to actually have you kind of marry Sue into the show itself. Uh, but importantly, in the case of Walking Dead, it's all canon. Right? It's not Jacob's game or Aaron's game. We're all part of a singular story that has no reset button. And so as a result, when I cameo, when I'm part of it, when I create a character inside of it, I am part of the lore of The Walking Dead. And this is a big deal because the people writing the story, the people who are writing the characters are Skybound, the creators of the comic book. This is Robert Kirkman's team. And he has said very clearly that this story is canon to his comics. So when you create a character, when you appear inside the world of The Walking Dead last mile, you were part of the universe of the comic books of The Walking Dead. Yeah, I thought that was one of the coolest things, how um, you were able to take a an extremely loved IP like The Walking Dead um, and create a canon story out of it without even knowing what that story is ultimately going to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd love for you to talk about like how that came together why you know the the creators of the walking dead were willing to make a bet on a mile and um like just how you see interactions with ip like this going in the future is this the first of many like it the answer to your last question is very much yes um let's talk about how we we got to where we where we were after we finished rival peak facebook was interested in doing more and wanted to explore how we bring large intellectual properties into this format. And so I went and I approached a number of IP holders. And one of the ones that was the most keen to explore this was Skybound, who had been looking in this area for a long time and was searching for a kind of tech and, and production partner to help bring some of their existing vision to life. So it's not like we went to Skybound and they went, that's a cool idea. It was we went to Skybound and they said, we've had ideas for what we want to do here for years. And in fact, the more I, I approached companies in this ecosystem, the more I heard that same common refrain. In fact, companies have been looking at this concept of transmedia, which is a word that is out of vogue now for close to two decades. Where do games and traditional linear media meet? Where do they intertwine? The original pitches, and I remember this back from the mid-2000s when I started in the game industry, was, hey, you could start playing a game and then see it continue in you know, a TV show, and then there'll be comic books, and you'll be able to buy toys. And we're only just starting to get to that now. So if you look at what Riot's done with Arcane, or you look at you know the cyberpunk anime that's airing on a on Netflix these days, and you're seeing how that drives engagement back into the game, we're finally, 20 years later, starting to realize that that is a thing that will actually work, and that the audiences around it are mature enough to be interested. But I look at the opportunity as significantly bigger than just creating an extension thing to your game product. And so what I mean by this is the following. When you create a video game, you create a product for a player. You don't move forward in Call of Duty unless you push the joystick. You don't fire a gun unless you pull the trigger. If you 
do nothing in Spider-Man for the PlayStation 4, Spider-Man will kind of idle like that. But he's not going to swing around the city on his own, right? You can't crush candy in Candy Crush unless you're tapping on your phone. And the reason I say these incredibly redundant things are games require you to interact with them for the story to move forward, right? They demand your time, they demand your skill, and they demand your immersion. And there is nothing wrong with that. But I'm really busy. I've got a five-year-old. I'm running a company. I love games. I grew up with games, but I'm super busy. And so I don't have the time to go and spend 15 hours focused on a thing, remembering all the button combinations and getting better at it. But I do love interactivity. So my five-year-old, he grew up with phones and iPads, right? He touches, he interacts with them, he adjusts them. When he was two or three, he went up to the television and he tried to tap that. And he was surprised and frustrated and disappointed that it didn't react to him. Yeah. Right. The the ages growing up these days with Roblox and Minecraft expect interactivity, demand interactivity. And so the notion that you have, have content that you can't be a part of, that there isn't a community around is not things that are going to be acceptable. And then we go back to this notion of cloud gaming. So, Stadia launches in 2019, talking about the next 2 billion gamers, xCloud, Luna, etc. All of these platforms who are working on game streaming have been saying that the opportunity is to move beyond console ownership, right? Cost of console is very expensive. $400, $500, $600, and then you can't even find them. And then you have to go and pay for individual pieces of content. Then the same platforms went and put GPUs in North America and Europe and with the same $60 package disc products that were available on the console. So you didn't actually move past the console. You just had a slightly more inferior experience because if your internet hiccuped, that was the end of your play. And if you think about that phrasing of the next 2 billion gamers, which is a thing that we heard commonly when many of these cloud gaming platforms were being launched they could mean one of two things they could mean audiences around the rest of the world that may not buy consoles india mexico brazil um but then you have to go and put really expensive gpus like three thousand dollar gtx 380s in data centers in india and the revenue return that you can get on that doesn't match which is why none of these cloud platforms stream there but i do so i'm not doing one-to-one streaming i'm just broadcasting so if you can watch youtube or facebook in india you're watching rival peak or walking dead last month we've got a huge indian player base for all of our titles because some of the prettiest looking stuff that you can get streaming to those phones and so the next two billion gamers aren't there the other argument that you can make are people in Western countries who don't own consoles. And that's how many of these platforms launched, right? They've launched in North America and Europe. And so you don't have to buy a console anymore. Just pay us $120 a year or whatever their monthly fee was for it. And we'll put aside that argument. But he, here's the problem. For somebody who likes and plays games and finds that type of content appealing, Red Dead Redemption, all of the launch titles for most of this stuff 
the issue has never been access to the console or the cost of the console because they're not really that expensive relative to the cost of individual titles. If you look at my parents as an example of an audience that may be appealing, well, they've actually owned a console for 20 years. They've been, I put my, you know, last gen Xboxes in their house because I live in a small apartment in New York City. They're not playing Red Dead Redemption because they don't have access to a console. They're not playing it because it's complicated and has a lot of buttons. And that's not a thing that they would ever do. And so if you actually want to get to those next 2 billion people out there, you have to do two things. One, you have to be available worldwide and accessible on low-end devices without latency problems. And you have to create content that isn't complex. And that is core to The Walking Dead Last Mile. All of the puzzles and the mini games we've got there, this first aid and match three and all sorts of other stuff, are very common, popular, casual experiences. Why? Because you're playing those to generate points and you're using those points to influence the story. And if it was play this battle royale and be really good at it, and you'll get all the points to then influence the story, the only people who'd be able to influence are the people who have a lot of skill. And that's a very niche market to be Mm -hmm. focused on. So we wanted to create an experience that didn't require you to be skilled at it, didn't require you to be the number one person. You just needed to be engaged, right? You just needed to be able to play a little bit, lean back and watch the results. And you don't have to do anything. You just want to watch The Walking Dead. Go ahead. You want to chat and be part of the community? Go ahead. You want to cheer? For people, your cheers now, we we added this last week, when people are stabbing walkers or shooting them, your cheers help heal the players who are inside of the thing. Uh, and if, in fact, if you don't cheer, they're probably going to die. So that 50% death rate now becomes a lot lower if the audience is helping you. But if you really want to go and solve every puzzle, shoot every walker, defend the village, you can do that. Wherever you want to participate on that spectrum, you have the ability to engage with it. And that's very different than a traditional video game. So those are all the lessons that we imparted into Walking Dead. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I'm curious, obviously, you're you're still, even though you're pioneering something new, in a lot of ways, you're still taking from the best of what has been figured out so far, such as with mini games and um, you know, leveraging a lot of these platforms and such. But I'm curious, um, when it comes to to user engagement, um, obviously, you're pioneering something that's new, so the best practices aren't entirely figured out yet. What are some of the unique challenges that you're that you're thinking about and iterating on to improve engagement, to improve involvement? Um, because uh, you know, for example, this isn't you know a one-time event. It's not you know a session that you know you can hit pause and then as a yeah. player and then to come back to and you're left exactly where you left off. You have to catch up on what's happened in the world. How are you thinking about um, just solving some of the engagement challenges that are out there? And what are those challenges? Well, we've been actually doing it live day by day over The Walking Dead. So as an example, we we found that it wasn't clear why your story choices mattered or why your points mattered. So in the prologue, you just had choices up there, but you didn't have context. And so when we launched Act 1 in late August, we launched it with a new bidding screen that told you whether it was a major choice, a minor choice, a life or death choice, and it gave you a context link so you could go see the setup to that storyline moment. Um, 
We're finding that people don't understand their impact, their individual impact. So very soon we're launching a feature called My Impact that will actually tell you how you impacted the story. Uh, we're launching a feature called Timeline soon that's going to allow for you to see the chronological order and the story decisions and the choices that the audience have made. Because joining the story 100 days into it, which we're getting close to now, is intimidating because a lot of things have happened. Mm-hmm. So how do you catch the audience up? Um, how do you create meaningful choices? How do you build mini games that don't feel exhausting to participate in? How do you make that survival feel like it's like it matters to you? And how do you rally the community around it? These are questions that we're asking ourselves. And we literally will look at the thing, say, we don't think that this is working or the audience isn't interacting with it. Write up a ticket for it. Have our UI UX team mock a thing within a week or two and then start implementing it. Like We're not looking at things in month timeline or year timeline. But it's literally day by day. How can we improve this product? And every lesson and every piece of data that we're getting from Walking Dead is going to the next title and the next title after that. As you pointed out, we have a little bit of a problem insofar as we had to build these products without knowing how the audience would do it. So the only content I could build off of for Walking Dead was my lessons from Rival Peak, right? Um, And I'm building many other projects right now and most of those were started before Walking Dead was live, before we had thought about a lot of the designs. And so like August, we'd been live with Walking Dead's beta for a month. And we looked at we looked at the data from the users and the designs and what was working and what wasn't. We made sweeping changes across all of the titles and development saying Walking Dead is showing us that this is or is not working. We'll lean more into this and we'll adjust more into that. And when Walking Dead finishes, we'll do a post-mortem. We'll look at all that data and that design. That will impact the next title. The next title that we release um, will have the benefit of that. And then the title after that will have the benefit of that. And so inside of the company, we're not just building this content, but we're building data as well as design know-how and kind of how you produce these things more so than any company in the world right now. There is more knowledge on how to build miles, more technology on how to build miles, more data on how to build miles than anywhere else in the world and inside of our company. And I can say that with full confidence. Yeah, and that's really cool. And obviously, props to your team for being on the the front lines, figuring that out as you go, um, you know, building the plane as you fly in, in some ways. Um, I, I want to talk about... Um, more future elements, how you think about this evolving in the future. But before we do that, really quickly, could you just explain what the business model is of Miles? Um, what some conversations with other other people that are more, you know, firmly in traditional gaming. I think sometimes they struggle to understand because it's so different. Um, you know, what is similar in terms of the business model? What is different? So, um, you know, how does Genvid make money? How do the developers make money? How does that all work? This answer has to be tied also to your next question, which is about where we're taking things. So remember that we began as a tech and services company. So for Genvid, we make our money off of providing tech and services up until now. Pac-Man, Walking Dead, Rival Peak, all of our projects like CSGO for Twitch or 
We license our software and we sell solutions as any Unity or Unreal Engine provider does. Um, and so we we make money, we make margin off of the packaging of those products to the platform. Developers who use us uh, will sell items or will sell interactions or will use it from marketing purposes and will pay us licensing fees for that. But that is not where the company is seeing its opportunity for the future because I raised my Series C last year. I started my entertainment company. I mentioned I'm financing my own products. And so those products will live on Janvit, right? So up until now, it's been somebody else's content. Going forward, it's going to be mine. And there will be battle passes and item-based transactions and all the things that you'd commonly see in free-to-play video games that will be inside of these products. And you can see where it goes very easily, right? You play mini games, you get points, you use those points to bid for cameos and use those points to bid on storyline decisions. And it's working really well. We actually had to introduce a point cap two weeks ago because we had some very addicted players in Walking Dead spending 12 hours a day grinding the thing just to win every contest. Well, you'll be able to buy point packs the same way you buy gems or what have you in free-to-play titles. Like, There's no need to actually reinvent the wheel on the business model. Fortnite, Roblox, um, Diablo Immortal, etc. have all kind of paved the way for what we're going to pick and choose for our business models going forward. But importantly, we're going to be streaming everywhere. So we'll be, we're on Facebook now. We'll continue to stream to Facebook. It's a great platform, but we can also stream to App Store, Google Play, Xbox, PlayStation, Switch, Apple TV, Fire TV, Roku, Epic Game Store, Steam. I mean, anywhere that the Netflix app can live, my streams can live because it's the exact same stream. And so you should be able to access Genvid content everywhere. And they're all going to be very large intellectual properties. It's all being built going forward and on, on Unreal. So Rival Peak and Walking Dead were built in Unity. Um, and the Unreal pipeline, the fidelity on it is just mind-blowing. Like, looks gorgeous. Full voice acting, real-time streaming, etc. Um, and so you can imagine being able to get access to Agenda Battle Pass and access to all of our content right, unlocked through that process. But we are planning for all of our streams and all of our content to be available for free. Um, and then the audience who want to purchase a battle pass, create characters, get avatar items, all the things that we're doing in Walking Dead fully for free will be capable of being monetized. So I kind of had to answer both of your questions at once to tell the right story. Got a little bit ahead of it. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so let's look into the future a little bit more. And I have... Um, I guess I have a, a few questions here. I might compress a couple in our, our final 10 minutes, but um, Genvid has been building for, for six years now. So I'm curious if we were to to zoom forward another six years. So so the year is 2028. Um, what is the state of Genvid at that time? What is the state of Miles? Like, um, you know, what what is that... Um, any bold predictions about what that that world looks like, but but also connected to that, um, I'm curious because um, I've seen elsewhere you, Genvid, uh, give examples of miles that aren't even necessarily kind of around games. So I'm just curious where where do you see this going over the next few years, bigger picture? 
I think there are three points I want to make here. One, if up until now we've been primarily a technology brand, going forward we're going to be a consumer brand. And so back in May, we announced two fairly significant hires. One, Andy Schneider, he was the SVP of Disney streaming services that launched Disney+. Plus. He's now our CMO. There's a reason. right? He's building up a consumer-facing brand around us so people will think of Genvid when they think of Miles and have a similar brand to Netflix or HBO Max or Telltale or what have you. Um, and we brought on Jerry Hines to be our EVP of platform. Jerry, I first met him close to 13 or 14 years ago when he built the first GPU instances at AWS. All of the GPUs that I use today were originally created by him. I was one of their first beta testers at Square Enix for the G1s. Uh, after that, he built the enterprise cloud for NVIDIA under, under Jensen. And he's building out our account systems, our wallet. So you'll be able to single sign on just like you do with Fortnite and have access to that stream on any device everywhere worldwide with the same wallet, with the same entitlements. And this leads to point number two, which is a wide swath of intellectual properties uh, under our banner. So we've got one announcement coming very soon for a major IP. Uh, we've got another announcement coming one to two quarters later, and we've got another announcement coming one to two quarters after that. And so wow. every few months, you're going to see very, very big intellectual properties where we're building miles and they're part of that Genvid brand. And we're going to continue to do that. In fact, we continuously speak with IP holders who want to create this and you'll look at it and you go, how'd they get that IP or how'd they get this opportunity or that Hollywood director to sign up for it. It's like everybody's been thinking that this is the future for a very long time. Very few places both have the technology and the war chest, as well as the design know how to build it. And we are doing so that's point number two. You're going to think of our brand as being a place where a lot of your favorite intellectual properties are kind of located. And then you're going to start to, and this is point number three, not just think of us as kind of lighthearted interactive television, but we have long known, because again, I started in cloud gaming, right, 15 years ago, that more immersion, more um, capability for the audience member can come. So today you're all watching the same streams. Today you've got a 2D overlay. As cloud-side GPU gets cheaper, AI gets cheaper, physics gets cheaper, it's going to be cheaper and cheaper for me to start to allow people to have individual cameras and controls inside of these shared worlds. The tech will catch up. The pricing will catch up. It's never been a question of being able to do it. I did it 15 years ago. It's been a question of latency, GPU, and bandwidth cost. Five to eight years from now, we're going to be at a place where that is manageable for a company like ours. And which company is going to succeed in this actual kind of cloud-based future? Is it going to be the ones that are just purely porting console games? Or is it going to be the company that's been designing these products from day one from the ground up, has the data, has the IP, and has the kind of design know-how on how to build the products? 
Absolutely. Because the better I make Walking Dead, the better my next product gets. And it is like building a game engine. Tim Sweeney had this great quote a few years ago where he said, anybody who wants to catch up to Unreal needs to invest billions and probably a decade of time. And by the time they get there, we're a decade ahead of them. Yeah. It's going to be the same here. I am six years ahead of any company that's starting today on these products. And I've got the people, the data, and the know-how. And I've signed the deals for the franchises. And I've been locking those down. Right? So... You know, the, the IP holders trust us. They know that we deliver on quality. They know that we're capable of doing what we say. And they're excited to work on these products. And we're working with great creators. We're working with amazing creative teams. And that's only going to build up an even stronger opportunity for us. And if you look at it from the game publishers or the comic book holders or the movie producers who work with us, all of them understand that this is the future. They just don't know how to build it. And the great thing for us as a company is not just that we're able to build this and build that consumer brand, but similar to Unreal Engine and to Epic, for people who don't want to be having a Genvid produced project where Genvid licenses and they want to build it on their own, guess what? I've got the tech for that and the services for that. And mine is working and stable. And I'm very, very happy for people to build their own miles. Because I know my software is the best at it in the world and they won't have to do it from scratch, which is why everybody's building an Unreal these days, right? It's the same mm. opportunity to have your own content publishing business, which is what they do with Fortnite, to have your own platform, which is what they do with Epic Game Store, and to also provide the tech and the services through the engine that has an entire ecosystem of people building it that makes your own product stronger. That's what we have at Genvit today. We have our SDK, we have our services division, we're building up our publishing, we're building up our platform. Right. And so just to be very clear on that, we have a lot of founders, entrepreneurs, game developers that that listen to this podcast. If they want to go and build a mile right now using Genvid's technology, they would be able to do so? Everything is available on our website. All of our products use the public SDK. I'm not joking. All of the studios that we work with, even our internal staff, go to genvidtech.com and download the SDK that's available on the website. Walking Dead is running off of it. Pac-Man is running off of it. Titles that we'll announce very soon are all running off of it. We eat our own dog food, which is why the SDK works. Awesome. Um, So we got just a couple minutes left, but I wanted to ask you one last question, Jacob. I got to ask the... uh, the the king of miles um what is your dream mile what what would that be i'd really like to do star wars one day that sounds like a lot of fun star wars and pokemon i think would be really really good fits um for us obviously if i'm saying this i'm not working on them actively at this point in time right so otherwise i'd be under nda not be but like those two would be dream projects for me i think that the audience being able to collectively kind of influence a Star Wars story or being able to participate in just massive boss battles in Pokemon. Like imagine a boss with a billion HP and millions of viewers (laughs) who are watching have to throw their own Pokemon at it. Like that's my dream for where this content goes. Well, I'll be there day one for both of those. Once you, once you you find a way to to pull that off, Um, I guess I'm here, Disney (laughs) just reach out. <laughs> I guess I lied about last question. Really, the last question is for those who are interested in following along with all that Genvid is up to and what, what you're up to yourself, how can they best do that? We just launched Genvid.com, which is different than our tech company. It's our consumer facing portal. So all the upcoming news are going to be there. We've got our socials. So at Genvid Tech, um, 
on on Twitter and on LinkedIn and and kind of everywhere else um, is good. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at at Jane Navok. That's the letter J, then my last name Navok and A V O K. A lot of people say Novak. It, it's A V O K, not O V O K. But you're you're going to see our announcements pretty soon, and uh, I think anybody following the industry is going to see it because it's going to be hard to miss. Yeah. Well. I'm really excited for that. And Jacob, again, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a lot of fun. I'm super bullish on what you guys are thank building. You. And I can't wait for more people to to catch on um, and for your your new projects to, to come to life. Um, so thanks again. Thank you. Much appreciated. Awesome. And to all of our listeners out there, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to give it a like, subscribe, five stars. It would mean a lot. Also, share it if you think anybody would would find the topic of Miles interesting. We'll put the links to all things Jacob and Genvid in the description below. And of course, if you want to check out anything Novik related from our um, free newsletter to premium research, the, the links for that will be in the description as well. So thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.